I could sit in that all day, D. That was beautiful, wasn't it? I'm so thankful for our team. So very thankful for our team and how God is using them and growing them. And uh, man, I want us to be a, a worshiping church. That's one of our core values, in fact, that we are passionate worshipers, that we worship not just in, in words and songs, but that our lives bring worship. And then when we get here, this is the overflow of that worship. And we're so glad that you're with us here at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just, uh, we're blessed and honored to have you be with us today. Uh, we've been in a series called Acts, the Story of the Church, and this is our third summer going through it, and yes, we're going to have at least one more summer next summer finishing it up. Hopefully, we'll see. Uh, we may not finish it up. I don't know. But um, next Sunday will be our last Sunday for this summer to, uh, to wrap up the series for the summer anyway, so make sure you come next Sunday so we can wrap it up strong. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful time together. Hey, I want to welcome the uh, sixth graders. This is our promotion Sunday, and they're doing it over in South City Kids, which is awesome. And, they're, and we have some kids here, and I'm not going to call them out or, you know, uh, make them stand or something, because that would be uncool, Dad. <clears throat> but, um, but anyway, you know, we, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. We're glad they're here, aren't we? It's awesome. It's awesome. Hey, listen, this morning, if you have... Uh, your Bible, grab it for a second. I don't normally bring my Bible in here with me. Um, normally, I just preach from my iPad. Obviously, I look through it and study it a lot in the week. But I just teach from the iPad. But this morning, I felt the need to bring it in here. Hold it for a moment if you have one with you. Um, can I ask you some questions about this this morning? As we hold this, do we, do we believe this? Yes. Amen. Do we value this? Do we obey this? Do we know this? I'm glad you brought your Bible with you this morning. Um, the question I have for myself and the question that I have for you today is this, will this be looked at again between now and next Sunday? Will we be in this? Will we value this enough for it to change us and just to want to hear more from it, right? That's what I've been convicted of completely this week as I've studied this. You know, our culture, um, whether you've grown up in the church, you've been raised around the church, whether you just, the fact that you live here in the Bible Belt, you know these phrases that are Bible phrases, we think, you know, and, and we're, we're familiar with all this Bible stuff, uh, but my fear is that sometimes we've given in to popular culture or popular phrases thinking they're biblical phrases or biblical understanding, and it's not. Uh, there's a real danger here uh, in, what, in the church that we've kind of adopted some things that may not be scripturally true. So I want to I just have a little test here. You ready for a test this morning? Here's a few phrases. And um, I'll, I'll start the phrase, and I bet you can finish it, all right? You ready? Are you with me? All right, here we go. This too shall... All right, is that in the Bible? No. That's not in the... It sounds like something Gandalf would say, right? This too shall pass. Uh, but um, that was an awful Gandalf impersonation. But what about this one? Cleanliness is next to... Is it in the Bible? Oh, you know that one? Okay. That actually came from a John Wesley sermon, however many, long time ago. Uh, God works in mysterious, in the Bible? No. Isaiah talks about the fact that God's ways are different than our ways, but it doesn't say that he works in mysterious ways. What about this one? Love the sinner, but hate the sin. Is that in the Bible? Okay, Exactly. Scripture says for us to, yes, love sinners, and yes, hate sin. I think those are two biblical concepts, but that phrase is not from the Bible. What about be in the world but not of it? No. Not in the word as that statement. That's a, that's a biblical concept. 
But this is a phrase that's been put together. This is not actually from the word. What about God will uh, not give you more than you can handle? Yeah, some of you say that with uh, authority because you know you've walked through some things in your life that you couldn't handle. And you're like, "Uh, I can't handle this, right? I can't handle this. And that's the perfect example of uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 that says, his strength is made perfect in our what? In our weakness. Sometimes God places things in our lives we cannot handle. We don't know what to do. We, we, we're, we're bankrupt, and we need him. What about this one? God helps those who help themselves. No? It's not in the Bible. It's, it's a good kind of American phrase, though, right? God helps those who help themselves. The reality is, uh, and it feels like sort of the pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of a thing, but... Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We could do nothing in our sin. No awareness of God, no desire for God, no one seeking God, no, not one, and Christ died for us in our sin. See, the, the point this morning is there are some phrases, some ideas. There may even be some, some aspects of theology that are, that are getting into your heart and into your understanding that may not be scripturally accurate. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to know our word. We have to follow the word before just adopting some aspect of the church or some aspect of Christian culture that may not line up with the word of God. This has been, like I said, it's been a convicting week for me. I mean, I'm a preacher. I mean, this is, this is my job. I'm supposed to bring the word for you, right? And, and, and lay it out and explain it for you, with you. But what I discovered this week is I don't love it enough. I'm in it all week, and it's not enough. I don't know it enough. I don't live it enough. It's saddened me. It's convicted me this week. This is my prayer for us today as we look into our text, is that God would help us value this word. That he would help us love this word. That we would hold it up so high, esteem it in such a way that it is, it is so important to our lives. It is the very word of a holy God who loves you and wants to help you know him. That's his word. So let's pray this morning as we get into our text. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for an opportunity to serve you, to love you, to study together. God, to become who you want us to be, walking in the way that you want us to walk. So, Lord, open your word to us by by your spirit. Guide us to all truth. Lord, I pray that you would help me today. I surrender to you, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would please speak what you want to speak to each of our hearts. Help us to know you more, to be changed as a result of being in your word and in your house with you in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen. You remember last week we talked about uh, Thessalonica and the fact that there was a mob that got together and they decided they're going to take out this missionary team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So they go to this house where they've been staying, but they're not there. We don't know where they are. They're just not at the house. And so the people who are there is this guy by the name of Jason and some other brothers from the church. And so instead of taking Paul and Silas, they grab Jason and the other brothers and they pull them out to the street. And who knows what's going to happen, right? Are they going to kill these guys? Are they going to beat them? We don't know. But they offer a pretty stern warning that they don't like what's going on. In fact, they remember they said that this team is the team that's turning the world upside down. You remember that phrase? They're turning the world upside down. We've got to do something about this, in other words. And so, but they're not there. So what do they do with Jason and the other brothers? They take some money from them. And they say, just go on your way. But there's definitely a message that's been sent to the missionary team, which brings us to our reading today in Acts 17, verse 10. It says, the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. 
Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving command for Silas and Timothy uh, to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So right after this situation at Jason's house, they get the message. And at the, uh, over, under cover of night, Paul, Silas, Timothy, they leave Thessalonica. And they're on their way to Berea. It would have taken about three days' journey to get to Berea. It's about 50 miles, not an easy trip. And when they get there, they're going to go where? Huh? Synagogue. That's, where, that's what they've been doing. That's where they go. That's the MO of this team. They're going to go to the synagogue, the hub of Jewish life. And so they get there, but Luke describes the people in the synagogue differently than any other place they've been. Same strategy. They're doing the same things they always do, but this people are different. He calls them what? Do you remember? The Bereans, he calls them noble. He says they're noble. Let's look at that right there, right? It says in verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Wow, goodness gracious. I mean, it's like comparing two, uh, two different churches in a way, right? It's interesting. What makes Berea more noble? We're going to look in just a minute. But the, the word noble from the Greek literally means high-born, like almost of nobility in a sense. Uh, I think about the royal family. You know, that's, that meaning began to change, and it didn't, it didn't have quite that meaning anymore. Instead, it just meant generous or open or tolerant, and that's what Paul was trying to say about the Bereans. They weren't necessarily born of royalty, but they were open. They were generous. They were tolerant of what Paul had to say and the message that he was bringing through Scripture. They were open to it, right? So here's these noble Bereans. That's what they're known for. Anybody ever heard of a, a Berean Bible study or a Berean Sunday school class, Berean church? You know, this is the people. This is who they want to be like. It's a, it's a very positive thing. And so Luke compares the Thessalonians and the Bereans, which is interesting. Not that you guys ever compare churches. You would never do. I mean, we don't do that kind of right? This church does this pretty well, and this church does that pretty well, and this church and that church. It's kind of what Luke is kind of saying here. They're, they're more noble. Now these Jews were, uh, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Then he gives a definition for what he's calling more noble. They receive the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The first thing he says, which I want us to camp out on each of these just for a moment, is this. They received the word. That's the first thing. This morning, are you receiving the word? That's the question for our hearts. Are we ready? Are we receptive to receive the word? Are we open to it? Are, you, are we tolerant of it? Or are we going to listen to what's, what's being spoken to us? Do we value the word as they do? Because what they, they valued it in such a way that it was life to them, not just religion. They wanted to hear it. But it says, it gives a descriptor of how they received it, right? It says they received it with eagerness. Now, the word eagerness in the dictionary says something that you want to do or have very much. And as soon as I read that definition, an example popped in my mind in my own life. And uh, <laughs> so here's, here's the example. So anytime somebody tells me they're from Texas, anybody from Texas in here? A few? Oh, okay, yeah. Wow. We can have Texan people here, y'all. Let some Texans in here. So anybody from the Atlanta area? Have you traveled to these places? Yes, okay. Anytime somebody tells me they're from Texas or from Atlanta, if you know me very well, you know what I'm about to say. I ask, do you like papacitos, which is God's gift to the planet in Mexican food. It is the greatest Mexican restaurant on the planet. It's just phenomenal. I love it. And anytime I go to Texas or I go to Atlanta, somebody invites me or we get to go or whatever, I'm not thinking about the trip. I'm thinking about Papacitos. This is as much confession as it is example, okay? I started a diet this week, and it may be why I'm talking about food so much. I don't know. It's very possible. This place, I'm, I'm convinced that their food is going to be at the wedding supper of the lamb. It's, it's that good. Um, but it's one, of those, it's one of those situations where anytime we're going to go with great eagerness, I can't wait. It's something I want to have very much, right? With great eagerness, with great anticipation and excitement. That's the way we ought to receive the word. You know, when we, I, was, I, feel, I felt this last night. I was sitting in bed with, with my little girl, and I said, tomorrow's Sunday, we get to go. And I felt an eagerness to be with you, 
to be here, to learn, to worship together. We want to have an eagerness to receive the, the Word of God with a joy, with an eagerness. And you just get a sense they had an excitement. They had a desire to hear the Word of God. God had opened their hearts and their minds, and now they're going to listen to Paul, but they want to do so with joy. Do we have joy when we come to the Lord's house to listen to His Word? I mean, do we value that so much that we just, we come like we're holding something so precious? I saw a clip, not this past week, but the week before um, at the leadership summit that we went to. I had seen it before, and it reminded me of how I don't value the word as much as I should. It was a clip of a, a tribe in Indonesia, and they're receiving these Bibles. It, they, they've been working for 47 years to translate the New Testament into their language, their heart language. And the plane arrives, and the tribe meets them at the plane and they receive the word with eagerness. I want you to watch this real quick. Darana nyundi yudaibna gigip memero. Darana memero kum. Poko yonalna nyundi gerenche omulatlam siyang wenena. Memero puku wenena op kemelamap. Do wenena anisi aniyak lemla buka nyundabi elulamap. Poko memero kum niya omulatlam siyang wenena. Omui nyundabi ketsepo. How many do we have sitting in our shelf at home collecting dust? There's another video online. You can find it. Chinese Christians being given a box of Bibles, and they're tearing into it like it's Christmas morning, weeping, hands raised, valuing the Word of God. What we have is an unbelievable gift given to us. Do we value it? Second, first Peter uh, 2, 2 and 3 says this, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is, is good. If you know Jesus as your Savior, you have a desire. It's, it's been, the Spirit has been put inside of your heart and your life, and you want to know Him more. And the only way to know Him more is through His Word. And we ought to be hungry for his word. This week, you know, you can't study 
about the Word of God in the Bible and not at some point be led to Psalm 119. At some point, you're going to get to Psalm 119. And I thought, well, let me pick out a verse or two to encourage the, the church in Psalm 119. So I started pulling out verses, and I looked at my, my notes, and I had 50 verses. I'm like, well, I can't do 50 verses. Uh, let me, I, I erased it. Let me go back to the, to the starting point, and I'll find a couple of verses that I can use that will be really great from Psalm 119. And I did it again. I had 50, 60 verses. So I decided that instead of to encourage you with one or two verses from Psalm 119, I thought I would challenge you. This week, when you leave here, during the time that you're studying the Word of God, or or if you will, this week, look into Psalm 119. It is beautiful. It is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's going to take you maybe through the week to work through it. It's 22 stanzas. It's actually a poem. It's an acrostic. It's in the Hebrew language. It starts with uh, every letter from the Hebrew language. Of course, we don't get that or know that when we read it in the English, but it has six to eight verses in each stanza, and each one has many references to a love, an appreciation for walking in the Word, for knowing the Word, Psalm 119. So that's my challenge to you, that this week you could get into Psalm 119 and, and consider that. What's another thing that we see uh, the Bereans doing? Let's look here again. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures. Now, the Greek word here for examining is uh, like a judicial investigation. It's like an interrogation. This is very serious, and it's it's very pointed. It's the same word used in the Greek for when uh, Pilate questions Jesus. It's a very serious questioning here. They want to know. They're examining, but they're, they're, they're questioning Paul through the Scriptures. Then there's this neat thing at the end of this phrase that says, they examine the Scriptures Daily, right? Daily. Do you remember in uh, Thessalonica, last week we talked about the fact that Paul, uh, he visited the synagogue three different Sabbaths in a row. You remember that? So you kind of get the sense that the leaders of the synagogue said, this is interesting. I want to know more about this. Come next Sabbath and we'll talk some more. Do you remember that? That's not what the Bereans do. They're different than the Thessalonians. The Bereans say, come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. we got to know what's happening. we got to know what this is. We have, there's a sense of needing more information. we got to find this out immediately, what you're saying. That's what makes them more noble. They're examining the Scriptures daily. Listen, as believers in Jesus, we need to examine Scriptures daily. It's something that just needs to be a part of our lives daily. Do you like to eat daily? That kind of was a goofy. Of course. You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about Jesus in the garden when he said that the word of God is the bread of life, right? It's the bread of life. And how many of you know, again, I'm talking about food. How many of you recognize when you've gone without a meal? Man, your head might start hurting. You don't focus. Everything's off, right? How about if you go all day and don't eat? Does your body say something to you? Does your brain chemistry feel weird? Yes. So spiritually, what's happening in your soul if we don't feed on the bread of life? Do we even notice it? Do we even acknowledge it? Is it something we value so much that that our lives are not the same? That we we can't function? My kids, I love my kids so much. Uh, This summer, we're not, you know, super regimented folks. We don't, you know, especially in the summer, we don't get up at a certain time. We don't have breakfast at a certain time, you know. We're sleeping in a little bit the different days. So we might not eat breakfast till 9.30 or 10, which means we might not eat lunch till 2.30 or 3. And Lori and I would be working on stuff. The kids are doing their own thing in different places, you know, and 3 o'clock we're like, kind of hungry. I think maybe we probably ought to get some lunch here, you know. And then parents, you know what happens. You go in to find your kids and see what they're doing, and all around them are Uh, evidences of the fact that they've been eating and it wasn't broccoli right they were like hmm kind of hungry let's see if there's some kale in the fridge that's they're not going for the good stuff you know what I mean there's cookie wrappers there's chip bags there's Capri Sun pouches and you're like ah you guys are going to ruin your dinner right you're going to ruin your meal listen that's what we do spiritually When we're not intentional about the bread of life in our life every day, we start snacking on stuff that's no good for us. We we start taking books, and listen, I love books, and I love writers, 
but it's not the same as the Word of God. It's not. We start snacking on certain kind of music, and we start snacking on TV shows or other things, and, and all of a sudden we get a sense of being satisfied, but we're not. In the same way, if you eat candy all day, at some point you'll go, ah, I feel awful. It will leave you empty. We need the bread of life in our lives. And you know what? I, I love this last, one of these last phrases here in this statement. It says in this scripture, read it again here. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. Last phrase, to see if these things were so. What I love about that is it's kind of like the Bereans trusted the word of God over Paul, right? Now, Paul might have been sort of a big deal. The people back in Thessalonica knew that he was the guy that's turning the world upside down. So maybe they've gotten the news too that Paul's sort of a big deal and maybe they should listen to what he says. But listen, they're gonna, they're gonna trust the word over Paul. They're gonna examine the word. They're gonna receive it with eagerness, but they're gonna examine it to see if these things he's saying are true. You know, I, I, I drive an old truck, 2001 Expedition. It's 18-year-old. It's, it's old enough to leave the house, I should say. How about that? Um, it's, it's, it's an old truck, and so I'm at the mechanic shop quite a bit. And anytime I go to the shop and the mechanic's like, I go in there for like a $30 oil change, and he's like, that, you really need to do about $800 of work every time. I'm like, uh... I say, you know what? Show me. You ever done that? Show me. The brakes, you say the brakes, I won't let me see it. So we go back in the garage and he's, not that I don't trust my mechanic, but I, I don't trust my mechanic. Um, but he goes back there and, and we look at the brakes and I, oh, I see it's metal to metal. Right? I see, this is, we have an issue here. I see it for myself, what you're telling me. I see that this is not good for my vehicle. It's not good for my family. It's not safe. I need to make a change. But now I'm fully with you. I get it. These Bereans were saying, I hear what you're saying, but let me see for myself. Prove it here. Show me here. They wanted to see if these things were true. Did they line up with Scripture? Paul had no problem with doing that, right? In the last message last week, Paul did all these different things when he went to Thessalonica and to the synagogue. He reasoned. In the word, remember? He reasoned, he explained, he proved, he proclaimed all from the word. So when they said, hey, let's prove it in the word, he's like, great, I'd love to do that. Let's look at the word and, and show you exactly what you need to see. Paul valued the word that he preached. In fact, you know, he wrote a, a letter to the Galatians, this place that he had been in the first missionary journey and, and visited some back in the second he writes this letter and he's warning them, don't believe something that I haven't told you. Don't believe something that's outside of Scripture. It's so dangerous. Be careful. And so he says this in Galatians 1, verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's serious language. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's saying, only trust the word. Jesus gave me this gospel and I gave it to you. Trust that, trust scripture. Be careful because the enemy will bring in aspects, changes to the gospel. And what's interesting is the Bereans were saying, Paul, we're gonna hold you accountable, not by our opinion, not by what you say, we're gonna come to the word and say, this is what we hold you accountable by. But guess what? That's also what we hold each other accountable to. As part of being a part of a church, as part of being a part of a family of families, as Dee said, we walk life together. And as we have situations, as we need to call each out, as we need to speak to one another in love, as we need to help each other come back maybe from the ledge of sinfulness or whatever the case may be, we don't go to a brother or sister and go, hey, I really think you're screwing up. No, that's not what we would do. We would come to them and go, here's the word. In love, it's not my opinion that I, I'm trying to draw you back. I want to bring you back to this word. This is what holds us accountable. 
not our opinion, not popularity, not approval of any man, this word. Is this true of us? Is this true of you? Have you wandered from this? Can I call you back, not to my desire, can I call you back to God's desire for you in his word? We're all accountable to the word of God. It's the standard, really, by which we live our lives and we see all things. And yet still some walk away, don't they? I don't know if you've been keeping up with Christian news. There have been a couple of kind of semi-celebrities in, in the Christian world in the last few weeks that have sort of denounced their faith and they're walking away. Joshua Harris was the, the author of a book called I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Some of you may remember. He kind of was a big part of the purity movement 20-something years ago. And then Marty Sampson is one of the worship leaders and uh, songwriters for Hillsong. Last week or two said, I'm walking away from my faith. And it's, it's caused a lot of us in the Christian community to go, oh, no, oh, my gosh, you know. When I read these things, I thought about a friend of mine in Nashville who was a part of our church. And he came up to me and wanted to serve. And I, I got to know him a little bit. I thought he came to know the Lord. I thought he trusted Jesus. We baptized him. I started sharing the word with him and trying to disciple him. I held him accountable. We read books together. He played on our team to this day. He's an amazing musician. But one day I got a phone call. I'll never forget sitting in my dining room at my dining room table. And he said, Drew, I need to let you know that we're done with this Christian thing. It felt like somebody kicked me in the chest. This was a dear friend. I almost couldn't even make out the words. I said, What? He said, yeah, we've tried this Christian thing for a couple of years. And I remember saying, what Christian thing are you talking about? You don't try a Christian thing. You receive a gospel. I don't understand what you're, what you're trying to say. And I hung up the phone. He said, we won't be back. I hung up the phone with this friend. And I cried and bawled like a baby for 30 minutes at my dining room table. You can ask my wife. Because I love him. I tried to meet with him. I tried to reason with him. I tried to bring him back to the truth of what holds us accountable. He walked away. You see, I don't think we walk away from Jesus. You can walk away from church. You can walk away from religion. You can walk away from the peripheral of the church. Because sometimes we buy into those things and we don't buy into Jesus. Reminded of Jesus when he was with his disciples. He just preached to thousands of disciples, thousands of people, and, and, and they're leaving. And he pulls the disciples together and says, hey, who do they say I am? Remember that story? And the disciples say, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then Jesus said, yeah, uh, okay, let's not worry about them. And I believe he looked in each of their eyes, and he said, who do you say I am? Remember that? Because, see, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what your family thinks. It doesn't matter what your work thinks. It doesn't matter what your friends think. It only matters what you think. He said, who do you say that I am? And the famous moment where Peter says, you're the Christ, the Messiah. He, he was expressing his faith. He had tasted and seen that the Lord is good. God had saved him. Who do you say Jesus is this morning? Because you might be a part of the church stuff. You might serve on a team. You might go to a small group. You might attend a service and not know Jesus as your Savior. And you think maybe you're walking away from him. And I'm saying no. Maybe you've never known him before. 1 John 2.18 says this. Therefore we know that this is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. I think about Judas Iscariot. Well, didn't he see the miracles of Jesus? Didn't he live among the disciples and yet he walked away? Because it needed to be made clear that he was not of this group. He didn't know Jesus. He had bought into some of the show but he didn't know Jesus as his savior. I think about the rich young ruler. You know, we get the rich young ruler from three different gospels. One says rich, one says young, the other says ruler. But this man walks up to Jesus and he says, he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? Remember that? In other words, 
I'm going to take care of this. Just tell me what I need to do. Arrogant. Thinking you can save yourself when you can't, right? And Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, and it's God. And then Jesus helps him understand the things that, that make up God being good. And he says, do you keep the commandments? And the man says, oh, yeah, I keep them all since birth. In other words, I'm as good as God because I've kept these commandments. He thinks he's like God. Well, then Jesus looks directly into his heart and he says, well, then go sell everything you have and come and follow me. And we know this, the story, right? This, they, the, the Bible gives two descriptors. It says he uh, depressingly walks away sad. He chose to be his own God. He walked away from Jesus because he had never trusted him. He may have thought he was following the rules. He maybe thought he was part of a, a group. But he had never truly surrendered his heart and his life to Jesus. There's a recent study that, that say there's a lot of this going on. <laughs> um, a recent study that says 18 to 34-year-olds hold, uh, hold heretical, much more heretical views at a higher rate than older people. What that says is that the, the value of Christian biblical orthodoxy, as we've believed for 2,000 years, is not valued as it is, as it was. It's changing. Another study says only 6% of college professors believe the Bible is the Word of God. These people who are influencing our kids in the most developmental point of their lives, 6% believe that the Word of God is, is true. Another study says the percentage of people who say that they're Christian has dropped from 85% in 1990 to 76% in 2008, 9% in almost 20 years. This is just showing us a trend, right? Only 40% of people in, uh, say that they're, they have a strong religious affiliation. And for those that say they don't have a strong religious affiliation, 55% of those are now down to 42 because they've walked away. That was in 2016. Only 33% of the population says they believe the Bible to be the literal word of God. If you believe that, I just ask you the question. If you believe that it is the literal, true word of God, you were very much in the minority. Sometimes people walk away from their experience of the church. And sometimes they become a very loud voice. I've had a friend in the last little while, last year or two, pretty good friend, walk away from um, his faith. And he felt the need to scream it and let everybody else know about it. And so he started a big podcast with thousands of people listening about how he's walked away from his faith. Don't you want to walk away from your faith too? I confronted him on it because I believe he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. Sometimes people have a, a loud voice. They think they figured out a new Christianity, one that we haven't known about all these 2,000 years. What I want to tell you is to be careful with the influences that you allow into your life theologically. Theology is just the study of God. It's the study of what we believe about God. And we all have beliefs about God based on what we're snacking on, right? Be careful with what you snack on spiritually. Be careful of the people you're listening to. It's not just Harris and Samson. I, one of my, I used to love this band called Gunger. Michael Gunger, they've walked away from the faith. Jen Hatmaker is a wonderful writer. I've loved some of her stuff. She now doesn't believe the Bible to, to wholly be true, to completely be true. We have to be careful. Joel Osteen, Rachel Hollis, and a myriad of others teaching a health and wellness prosperity gospel that is another gospel. We have to be so careful. Rachel Helda Evans that just passed away, she didn't believe the Bible to be completely true. And yet an amazing writer. She had a beautiful love for the marginalized, but she didn't believe the Bible to be completely true. One of my favorite writers was Richard Rohr. If you've ever read Richard Rohr, he's an amazing writer. I read several of his books. But the last book I read of, of Rohr's, I kind of went, you know? And I, for a while I thought, you know, let me just chew up the seeds and spit out the uh, shell. How about I'll just do that? I'll keep the truth and not, but listen, that's kind of dangerous too. We have to know the Bible so that we can spot the heresy. I've mentioned this example before, but the, the people who uh, are, are counterfeit agents, right? They focus only on the true dollar bills. 
They focus only on authentic bills. So when they see a fake, they go, that's fake. That's who we have to be when it comes to the word of God. We've got to know the word. Some of you say, why well, aren't really seem to feel a need to call people out like that? The Apostle Paul called Peter out. <laughs> we have to be careful, and it's part of our job to help you make sure that you are guarding your heart in truth. Paul said this, and I'm going to say it too. It doesn't matter who it is that you're listening to, including me. Paul said including Paul, including an angel from heaven. If it doesn't preach the gospel of Jesus as given in the word, don't listen. Filter everything you hear through the word of God. Paul said this to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. He said, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings that accord with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. When I think about some of those names, I think, yeah, that's true of these people. And for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind, deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Paul's saying if it's not leading you to godliness, to knowing Jesus more, to serving him more, then don't have it in your life. Don't listen to it. Don't allow it into your heart. Then in 2 Timothy, if you're familiar, if you're familiar with 2 Timothy chapter 3, he begins to talk about the last days. And even in the church, how that even in the church, some people will have an appearance of godliness, but they will deny its power. Listen, I think we're there. We're there. I think there's some people that they, they seem really good. They seem like they got it together and they write really well and they teach me some things. And then all of a sudden they say something and I go, that's not what the Bible says. We have to be so careful. Paul says this, this is the end of Paul's life. He writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 16. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I'm so glad our, our, our students are with us today that are, that are coming up. Parents, can I just say something that's, that's maybe hard to hear, but it's the truth? There's only one person who's responsible for the discipleship of your children. That's you. The church is to support you. It is our job to support you. As a covenantal community, we're going to come next to you. We're going to hold your hands with those kids, and we're going to do our best to help make them disciples to Jesus. But you will be held accountable for the discipleship of your children, and I will be held for, for the discipleship of my children. It's our job. This is what we have to do. But I think about Lois and Eunice. This is what Paul's saying. Those are the people who brought up Timothy. And they brought him up valuing Scripture. From childhood, you've been acquainted with these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, and we need to hear this today. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible has everything we need. And yet this world is going to do its best to twist it and change it. But we have to trust that it has everything we need to teach us, to correct us, to, to teach us about Jesus, to make us righteous. And when we believe it, when we value it like the Berean church did, I, I want you to see something that's pretty interesting. It says in verse 12 of our text, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as, as, well as men. Now, if you remember back in Thessalonica, it didn't say many believed. It said some believed. There's a difference in some and many what made the difference in some believing and many believing? A community that received the word with eagerness. A community that examined scripture. A community that highly valued it. More people came to know Christ. Listen, we could lead more people to Jesus. Isn't that our mission? I need you to help me here. Is it our mission? If it's not, tell me. This is our mission to lead more people to Jesus. And we can do that if we We'll value the word of God if we'll receive it with eagerness. If we'll examine it daily 
If we'll look at it through everything else in the world, that it's the lens by which we see the rest of our lives, more people will come to know Jesus as they did in Berea. I believe that. I want to close the rest of our text. Acts 17, verse 13 says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. How do we know that the word of God is powerful? How do we know that it changes lives, that it changes cities? Because when Paul began to to proclaim the word of God in Berea, The mob in Thessalonica traveled three days, 50 miles, to stop it. If it was just Paul's opinion, it wouldn't matter, would it? If Paul just wanted to talk about the weather, they they probably wouldn't have made the journey. But this is the kind of stuff that turns the world right side up, right? And they want to stop it. We know that there's power in the Word of God. And Paul begins to, to preach And as he begins to preach, the the crowd comes in to disrupt. Paul gets the brunt of the persecution because he's the one mainly preaching. And they make a strategic decision about discipleship. I love this. Another little proof in discipleship. They don't go, well, they don't want us here. Let's get out of here. Paul goes, no, Silas and Timothy, you stay here. Because we've only been here a few days. We want to take these people deeper in their discipleship, in their understanding of who Jesus is, what it means to look like Jesus and to live like Jesus. Stay here and help these people. So Silas and Timothy stay in Berea. And Paul is ushered off to Athens, which, by the way, is a 270-mile journey. That's a long way back in that time period. That, That would have taken weeks, maybe, which would have given Silas and Timothy time to make disciples daily. And then when they get there, Paul says, now that we're in, I'm in Athens, I want those guys to join me. Well, it would have taken weeks for those people to journey back, giving more time for them to make disciples in Berea. And so then they, they come and they join him in Athens. Listen, I want to close this morning, and as I do, I want to just ask you a couple of questions. What does the Bible mean to you? What does it mean to you? Because if you're like me, I got a ton of them. And I'm thankful for it and I, and I, I try to learn from it. But do I really realize what I'm holding? Do we understand the miracle that this is? And have we placed our lives beneath it saying, God, we need you to teach us this. We need to know this. Because the enemy's going to do his best to look like an angel of light or look like a godly appearance and try to make some changes, we need to come to this word and say, Lord, what is the truth? What is real? Is it really God's word? Is it really true? Is it all true? Can I trust my life to follow it? And if you read this, if you do value this, one thing I know is that from Genesis to Revelation, This is about Jesus. It's not a history book, even though it contains history. This is a Jesus book. Every, every single book is about Jesus. Every one, from the beginning to the end. So you may say, yeah, I believe that, but I'm not sure what I believe about Jesus. And I would just ask you the same question he asked his disciples. Who do you say he is today? And and if you say he's Lord and master, then what does this have to do in your life? Do you value it so much that we say, God, change me. Change me through this every single day that I might know you more. And God forbid we would be like the rich young ruler that would come so close. I kind of hate that story, I'll be honest with you. Because it reminds me of me how often I come up to Jesus so close and I say, but you're not enough for me. How many of you have said to Jesus, you're not enough for me? That's what he said.
Often it's what we say. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Father God, we want to love this word. We want to know this word. We want to value it with all that we are. It is within it are the words of life. Lord, train us, teach us, correct us through it. Because in it is wisdom for salvation, wisdom for righteousness and godliness. And yet, Lord, I just confess to you that I have allowed it to collect dust at times. I've allowed it to be an answer book instead of the life book. God, I've allowed it to, to be something in my life that is not valued as much as it needs to be. And so, Lord, I confess, I pray that you forgive me, and I pray that you reignite a fire in my soul for this word that I might love it and long to devour it, to digest it, to obey it, to be a doer of it, not just a hearer of it, God. These Bereans, they showed what they were made of, trusting your word over Paul. And as a result, many people came to know you, Jesus. Lord, that's our prayer at South City, that you would bring people to know you. If there's anybody here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, that's never trusted you to be their savior, God, would you move their hearts out of their seat and down to this altar today, that they might know the truth, that they don't have to go to hell eternally. Lord, they can know you, they can serve you, they can love you. God, would you lead them by your spirit? And for those of us that need to love your word and need to obey your word and open it more, God, would you convict us and draw us to it and teach us within it? And your word says that anytime your word is proclaimed in Isaiah, anytime your word is proclaimed, it will not return void. It will have its work complete. So use the word, Lord God, that you have given us today let it work in our hearts and our lives, we pray in the name of Jesus.